0: Have a seat and uh, go ahead and get out your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, and turn to the book of Second Peter as we continue our series uh, through the Word of God from one cover to the next, just looking for uh, the gospel. Uh, we see that this is Peter's farewell speech. Notice uh, verse 13 in chapter 1. He says this, uh, Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. and Of course, he's referring to Peter. Uh, his earthly body. I think it is right to stir up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, history tells us that this leader of the first twelve disciples was killed under Emperor Nero after he wrote this, not 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 too long after he wrote this. Uh, some accounts say that he was executed Upside down on a cross after watching his wife be crucified for her faith. And this is the same Peter. Uh, when we first met him, he rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. He talked when he should have listened. But he since learned his lesson. And before he leaves this world, he wants to help us learn our, ours. So what was on Peter's heart for these same readers as, as he wrote to in First uh, Peter What are these things referred to in verse 15 there? Well, in short, it is the truth of the gospel. And we can underline truth because it doesn't take long to find out false teachers had had come into the church and they were undermining the word of God and and the the truth of who Jesus is. So to start, Peter describes what this Christian life is all about. And we've seen this before. Uh, You know, we cannot hardly talk about the gospel Without mentioning, it is all about faith. It starts with faith. Number one on your outline, all of this starts with faith, and Peter confirms that. Second Peter one one, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have t- who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So you can just follow along in your outline. Notice it is called precious. This faith is precious That word means of great value and not to be wasted. And notice it is to those who have obtained like precious faith. So uh, just like Peter and just like the Jews of his time, we too can obtain this great and precious faith. So the next blank, it is for us. This faith includes us. So go ahead and, and tell your neighbor, that is good news. Listen, for, Jesus has opened up to non-Jews such as ourselves the truth. And, and this truth should always cause joy and gratefulness in our hearts because we are no longer outsiders. So do you see your faith as precious? Not to be wasted? Or, or does it kind of sometimes take a back seat to different things? Well, it's, it's really easy for us to do that sometimes, isn't it? Notice this faith is in Jesus, and that's important. This faith is in Jesus Christ. It's important because we can put a lot of faith in a lot of different things. And so Peter confirms here in verse 1, he is, he is God. He is Savior. He is the one who brings salvation. It's Jesus who gives grace. It's Jesus who gives peace. And church, no one else and nothing can ever do that for us, and so let us never forget where our faith lies. So this faith is precious. This faith can include you and me. This faith is in Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Uh, This faith comes with power. Look at verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So we we see uh, examples of of power uh, throughout, I mean, every day. So did you know that there are 1 million watts in a megawatt hour? 1 million watts in a megawatt hour. So think about a a 60-watt bulb only takes 60 watts, but there are a million watts in a megawatt hour. And New York City uses 11,000 megawatt hours per day, 11,000 per day. So that, that's, that's a lot of power. It's kind of impressive, you know. But, but think about this. How much power does it take to raise somebody from the dead? Hmm. How much power does it take to raise yourself from the dead? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done. And so 11,000 megawatt hours, yeah, big deal. <laughs> he took a dead person... And made him alive over and over and over again. Ephesians 2, 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so that is a lot of power. And that is the power behind our faith. The same power that rolled the stone away, the same power is alive in us today. His divine power, verse 3, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And so we see this faith is precious. This faith can include you and me. This faith is in Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. This faith comes with great divine power and gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. The next blank, this faith is backed by God's promises. It's backed by God's promises. So let's read verse 3 again and we'll continue. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So notice that word precious again. Here it is describing the promises of God of great value. And not to be wasted. So, where are the promises of God found? In in His Word, right? They're found right there. And so, um, I I ask the same question as I asked with our precious faith Do you see the Word of God and His promises as precious? Do do we really see the Word of God as precious, of great value, uh, not to be wasted? I will, I may never forget. Uh, The story of a persecuted believer uh, on the other side of the world in prison for his faith who risked his life just to get one page of the Word of God. One page of the Word of God and we have access to it at our fingertips. Uh, Described in Hebrews 4 as living and giving and powerful and precise and yet most of us never experience the Word of God like that because We just don't see it as as precious. And then we wonder why our lives end up in such a wreck. And and it's not that when we read the Word, nothing bad will ever happen. However, the Word gives us strength to move forward differently and to see that fire differently. The Word will help us sift through the wreckage and, and put the pieces together. The Word will help us see the bigger picture and realize we are not Alone God is faithful to His promises, and so do you see the promises that we have in god 's word as precious? So this faith it is precious uh, the faith can include you and me if this faith is in Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. this faith comes with great and divine power that gives to us all things per- pertaining to life and godliness. This faith is backed by god's promises. that leads to number two on your outline. This faith leads to a life change faith leads to a life change let's pick it up in verse five Uh, but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love i like how uh, warren wearsby said it where there is life there must be growth Think about that for a minute. Where there is life, there must be growth. A baby isn't born and then just stays the same. And remember, in Christ, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything we need, but are we applying ourselves to spiritual growth? It starts with faith, but notice it said there in verse 7, add to your faith. So it's like Jesus is the roots and he's the trunk, and we grow out from him. I am the vine you are the vine, and I, excuse me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remember that from, from John? And so, part of what grows out from that relationship with Jesus is seven things right here, and you can write them down. First one is virtue. This faith leads to a changed life, and virtue is one of them. It means excellence. Uh, to the original readers, it would have meant uh, fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. And as a believer, our purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. To love God and to love others. Do you have purpose in your life? Uh, We we had a a great discussion this past Wednesday in our adult class. uh, Speaking about Jesus being Lord of of our lives. See, when Jesus is truly Lord of your life, when you give him the right to make decisions, and when you truly submit to his leadership... And when you truly desire to do what he wants you to do, there is a fulfillment and a purpose that comes with it. And you most certainly don't have to be a pastor to find that purpose. But you do certainly have to be obedient to what he says. And I wonder how many people are walking around empty and purposeless and without any direction in life because we haven't truly made him the Lord of our lives. These godly traits... They can only be attained through the power. We already talked about power. Through that power of God in our lives. Not not by anything within ourselves. And when we fulfill our purpose, that leads to the next one on the list. Knowledge. It leads to knowledge. This is a, a growing knowledge. And of course, how do we obtain knowledge? By studying. By studying the Word of God and His promises and the things of God. And like we've seen before Uh, when we start doing that it saturates into other areas of our lives and that leads to other things like number three on the list self-control self-control. Proverbs 28 excuse me 25 28 whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Uh, So Paul uses examples of an athlete a soldier and a farmer. You may remember Mentioning those before. Just like them, we must be willing to sacrifice temporary things for something that is much greater. The next thing on the list is perseverance or patience as it is sometimes translated. And of course, uh, Peter just had to put that one in there. Um, When when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, the one that is most difficult for me, it's patience. But it's written all over the Word of God. Do, Do we ever consider our lack of patience As a faith issue. That one, I'm I'm stepping on my own toes, you know? Do we ever consider our lack of patience as a faith issue? It makes the list here, it makes the list, the the fruit of the Spirit list in Galatians 5. It's clearly important to God, and it is clearly not natural in my life. And so I have to depend on Him to supply it. James 1 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As a child of God, our trials, those the 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 fire that we go through, all those things that would test my patience, they're not working against me, they're working for me. God works through trials, he works all things for good. And according to 2 Peter, patience or perseverance, it leads to godliness. Godliness, the next thing on the list. So think about that for a minute. Is there anything in your life that would not fall under the category of godliness? That that may be a tough question for some of us. And and you don't have to answer me. You certainly don't have to answer me. but But God's asking the same question. And shouldn't I ask myself that same question every day? If there's something in my life that does not fall under the category of godliness, what am I going to do about it? That's, that's maybe even a more important question. Will we continue to be okay with ungodliness in our lives? Because that is a very dangerous place to be. But church, I see it all over the place. Godliness, godliness leads to brotherly love. The next one on the list. Uh, The word is Philadelphia. It's it's describing the love between siblings. The love that we should have for each other as siblings in Christ. A little kindness goes a long way. And this Philadelphia, this brotherly love, leads to the last one on the list, which is agape. And, And we're familiar with that word by now. Unconditional, selfless love whose ultimate example can only be seen in Christ. So these seven traits, this, this life change is a result of our faith. We cannot manufacture them on our own. We may be able to for a little bit, but long term, we cannot manufacture them on our own. We will never be able to keep them up. We need the power of God. We need those precious promises of God in order to live for him and to bring him glory. So uh, just re- review here. It all starts with faith. Our faith is precious. This faith can include you and me. This faith is in Jesus Christ, who is our God and Savior. This faith comes with great divine power that gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. This faith is backed by the promises of God. It leads to a changed life. And so of all of those, uh, which needs the most work in your life? Allow the Lord to, to just work on your heart as we continue to read Chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this reason I will not neglect to remind you always of the things of these things though you are, are now established though you know and are established in the present truth Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So, remember, uh, these, these false teachers had, had come into the church... And we can almost uh, picture it in our minds. This church is meeting, and they're reading this letter from Peter. And one of these false teachers, immediately, when, when they start reading, they get up and they say, Objection! That's actually the next blank on your outline. This brought an objection. And it was this. Okay, so how do we know that you guys aren't just making all this stuff up? And if you think about it, it's, it's a valid question. <laughs> what would you say? If somebody, somebody came to you who was not a believer, they knew that you, you claimed to, to trust Jesus, to, to, to be saved, and they ask you, how, how do I know that you're not making all this stuff up? What would you say? See, we don't believe the good news of Jesus just because that's what a good Christian does. Um, the next blank on your outline. There is evidence. There is evidence. Evidence and, and obviously there is an entire message, uh, an entire series of messages on, on the evidence of, of why we believe what we, we believe. But just to kind of touch on it, there's physical evidence uh, in the form of manuscripts, archaeological finds that confirm what the Bible says is true. Even though it was written over a span of 15 centuries by many different writers, the message is still consistent. Um, I, I, uh, I was reminded last week... Um, the different manuscripts, even though they have been, been traced from from miles and miles, hundreds of thousands of miles apart, they were 99% accurate, 99% the same. And, and I, I understand that the only difference in the manuscripts it would be like if I said, um, we went to the store yesterday. One of them would say that, and one of them would say, we went to the store Saturday. That, that's the only difference. And so, 99% the same. I mean that, that that's 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 good. That's that's really good, you know. We have evidence. This is why we believe the word of God. That's some of the greatest evidence that we have that our story this this the one we the one we believe of, of Jesus Christ is not made up. The next blank on your outline. My story. My story. Anyone trying to argue that what I've seen God do in my life isn't true, they're not going to get very far. We could spend all day going around this room sharing our stories, how God has come through and met us in the greatest time of need. There was another in the fire standing next to me. How Jesus has been with us in that fire and storm and trials. Church, your story is a gift. Do You ever think about that? Your story is a gift from God. And only He knows where we would be if He hadn't stepped in. All this evidence, it strengthens our faith. And remember, that's where it starts. And remember all that faith includes that we've already seen here today. Listen, if you couldn't answer that question, if somebody came and asked you, okay, how do I know that all this stuff isn't made up? I want to encourage you to to search it out search it out on your own start asking questions uh, ask myself ask Kevin ask ask godly people among us because there is there are reasons why we believe what we believe and if you if you do that study on your own uh, it, it will strengthen your faith so here's peter's answer to that objection how do we know it's not all made up for he says in verse 16 for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made it known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ in other words we didn't make this up but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the dawn dawns, the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is just using the same technique that we can use when we face objectors. Uh, Verse 15 and 16, he's referring to the transfiguration of Jesus that's found in Matthew 17. So in other words, he's saying, listen, I saw this with my own eyes. This is what I've seen Jesus do in my own life. I've I've, I've witnessed it. And then he uses the evidence of the word, just like we can. He mentioned the prophets in the Old Testament. They confirmed what I'm saying to you, Peter said. Only Jesus saves, and we are not making this up. Uh, If you have the David Jeremiah Study Bible... You'll notice on page 1800, there's a chart of 22 different things in chapter 2 that describe false teachers. Let me just uh, share these with you. In verse 1, it says they secretly infiltrate the church and deny the work of Jesus. You can follow along uh, right there in chapter 2. Verse 2 says they blaspheme the truth. Verse 3 calls them greedy, even though they use words that are are close to the truth. Verse 10 says they are presumptuous, self-willed, follow the the flesh verse 11 says they don't want to be under anyone's authority verse 12 says they exhibit peace on the outside but on the inside they're like untamed animals and they speak more evil than good because they're ignorant in verse 13 they deceive others in verse 14 they're full of adultery and cannot cease from sinning preying on unstable believers Verse 15, they intentionally speak lies, and they are out for monetary gain. Verses 16 and 18, they talk a lot, but they say nothing. Verse 17 and 19, they make huge promises, but they never deliver. And verse 18, they use alluring thoughts to provoke attention from those that listen to them. And so the warning here is the next blanks on your outline. Don't listen to the objectors. Don't listen to the objectors. Satan uses them to try to confuse them, to, to try to confuse us, to try to shake our faith. So don't listen to them. But here's another reality, church. There are ways now to infiltrate the church that don't ever involve stepping in this building. I mean, just, just think about that. I, I'm talking about the, the things we listen to and that we watch if whoever you're listening to doesn't align with scripture then don't don't listen to them uh, if they ever if even if it makes you feel good there's a big part of scripture that shouldn't make us feel good and that may mean that you need to get a better better handle on scripture but if we just blindly follow someone and never check what they're saying against these precious Promises of God that we have in His Word, we could be in danger of falling prey to these false teachers described here so negatively. Is your faith in Jesus, or someone on a podcast? Lord, give us eyes to see and resist false teachers. Now, by by now, in this early church meeting, uh, these false teachers that are among them—they really don't like what they're hearing as they listen to Peter's letter. Red. And so again, we can almost uh, see them standing up and saying, Objection! And that's number four on your outline. This brought another objection. A second objection. The first was, uh, you guys are making all this stuff up. The second one is, okay, so we've been waiting all this time, and if all you say is true, then why hasn't Jesus come back? It's another valid question, isn't it? Um, I'm sure that you have noticed with me that every generation believes that Jesus will return in their lifetime. You've talked to uh, those who have have gone before us. Incredible examples of faith. uh, Believing that they would see the second coming of of, of Jesus in their lifetime, but they didn't. So how can we really know that he's returning? Why has God waited so long? Well, the answer is found in chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Uh, Beloved, I now write to you, verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 8 says this, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has God waited so long for the return of Jesus? Why, why hasn't He come through in His promise yet? Well, it's because He's long-suffering. That word right there, In verse 9, it means patient. The Lord is patient towards us. So think about this for just a moment. What does it mean to you that God is patient with you? Hmm. That's That's a pretty good thought, isn't it? How patient God is with me To me, that means that he's gracious, he's merciful, he's faithful. He doesn't walk out on me even when I turn my back on him. He continues to love, he continues to pursue, he continues to restore, he continues to forgive. Church, aren't we thankful that God is patient with us? These truths are what the gospel is founded on. And he wants everyone to know these truths. And that's why we are still waiting for Jesus to return. It seems lately I've been asking that that same question myself. (laughs) Lord, how long? But man, his plans are better than mine. And he knows best. Will you just bow your, your heads and hearts as we go into a time of invitation? As we just pray. Because, uh, church, we can be sure he is coming. But until he does, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our precious faith. Help us to see it as precious. Help us to see your word your precious as precious. Lord, we ask that you would add to this faith these godly characteristics that Peter has listed. Lord, help us to beware of false teachers. Help us to rest in your patience and not willingly test them. And Lord, help us to be a witness to those who have not experienced it. What has the Lord said to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it?